Tonight I want to speak on the subject, Choose Joy. And I want you to think about that title because some people think that joy is something that someone else gives you. Sometimes they don't know how to receive joy or encounter joy. So one of the big questions that I want to answer tonight is where does joy come from? Now we obviously know that there's something called happiness that depends upon what? Happenings. Happiness depends upon happenings. So you can lose happiness real fast if something changes in your life. But joy does not come from happenings. Joy comes from a deeper place. It comes from a very spiritual place because it's a very, it is a spiritual gift. Remember the fruit of the Spirit, and I'm gonna go there in a moment. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, what's the next one? Joy and peace. So when you understand that joy is a spiritual thing, that joy is a spiritual experience, sometimes we look differently at how, how we receive joy and how we walk out joy in our life. So I wanna start with Romans chapter 14, verse 17. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I want you to say that with me. Joy in the Holy Spirit. How many of you know there's a difference in just joy and joy in the Holy Spirit? So let me hear everybody say it again. Joy in the Holy Spirit. Now you gotta get that in your spirit. You have to understand what does that mean to have joy in the Holy Spirit? Now. On the day of Pentecost, one of the marks of the day of Pentecost was exceeding great joy. One of the reasons they were able to win so many people, anybody remember that number that got saved? By the end of the week, 8,000 people got saved. 3,000 in one place, 5,000 in another place. And the Bible says because there was great joy in the city. As a matter of fact, when revival broke out and Philip the evangelist was sent there, the Bible describes revival as great joy in the city. So on the day of Pentecost, we have this scene where not only were there cloven tongues of fire that came down upon each of them, not only was there, um, was there, I hear God talking outside. I know what's going on. Everybody's looking at that. Did you hear that? Yes, I heard it. I heard that, so that's okay. Edit that part out, guys. So there we go. We know it's thundering and lightning and storming all around us, but tonight we're here to talk about joy. Everybody say joy. joy. All right, okay. So, so on the day of Pentecost, there is this, there is this scene that breaks out on the streets of Jerusalem that can only be described as joy that overflowed from the upper room. Now listen to this passage, and I want you to think about this for a moment. Acts chapter two, verse 15. For these men, or these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. That's nine o'clock in the morning. Now, when the world makes you drunk, when you get drunk on, on intoxicating liquors, you know what happens? You become silly and irresponsible. But that's not what spiritual joy looks like. Spiritual joy does not look like the same thing that drunk on liquor looks like. Drunk on liquor looks silly and irresponsible, but drunk in the Holy Spirit looks entirely different. Listen to this. This is not a staggering, silly group of people in the streets of Jerusalem with their eyes rolling around and they're staggering all over the place and people are holding them up. 
There's no way they could have won the city of Jerusalem like that. There's no way that anyone would have listened to them. It would have discounted the validity of this moment. But you know what happens? They're hearing these people speak in 15 different languages. They're hearing them speak in 15 different languages in an intelligible tongue. So they're seeing, so what are they talking about drunk as you suppose? You have to understand that this is a Jewish audience and he's speaking like Jewish people understand that when they go to a wedding feast, the people drink and they start dancing and joyful. And what I don't see on the day of Pentecost, I don't think this was on the day of Pentecost. I don't think it was eyes rolling around, people acting silly and saying crazy things. I think that's what the world looks like when they get drunk. I don't think that's what Christians look like when they get drunk in the spirit. I think when you get drunk in the spirit, there's a responsibility that goes with that. I think when you get drunk in the spirit, that there is a maturity that goes with that. I think when you get drunk in the spirit, there's a boldness that comes with that. When you get drunk in the spirit, they went into the streets fearlessly, courageously, and they started winning people to the Lord. You want to convince me you're drunk in the spirit? Then go witness to somebody and get them saved. That's what happens on the day of Pentecost. It wasn't just people, you know, just rolling around everywhere and rolling their eyes. That's not what drunk in the spirit even looks like. That's what drunk in the world looks like. Drunk in the spirit looks like boldness and joy. So think about this. On the day of Pentecost, all these people are in the street and they're dancing. If you've ever been to a Jewish event or a Jewish wedding or even to the Western Wall when there's a bar mitzvah or a wedding going on, you're gonna see the, you're gonna see hoopahs and you're gonna see the twirl dance and you're gonna see people dancing in circles and grabbing each other under the arm. It's kind of like what square dancing kind of looks like, you know, in the Southern culture. You're gonna see people wrapping their arms around each other and dancing. It's this joy. And what happens at the day of Pentecost is there's this exuberant, extreme joy that comes from the upper room and into the, into the spirit or into the streets, and people want that joy. They're thinking, I don't know what you're drinking, but I want that new wine. I don't know what you've just done, but that's what I want. I, I want to feel like that. I want that to be in my life. And from that one experience, it wasn't just the sermon that that caused 3,000 people to convert. It was the joy of that upper room that invaded the city because every time the Spirit falls in a city, the Bible says there is great joy in the city. And so the amazing thing is happening when these people are being drunk in the Holy Spirit. Now think about this. Who are some of the most joyous people you know? Stop and think about this. Now, it's easy for us to think about the people that pull us down, right? We've all got people like that in our life. It's like, I can only take you in spurts because you drag me down when I'm with you. Hopefully, you didn't have to spend Thanksgiving with that person. But if you did, we're glad you're here tonight. You chose the right night to show up because I'm talking about joy. So there's people in your life that they're always filled with problems. They're always pulling you down. Their whole life is one big drama. And it's like, listen, I love you. It doesn't mean I don't love you, but I just can't take you all the time. I can only take you part of the time because it's just, it's just I don't have enough energy to pull it all back up all the time. It's like an uphill climb every time I'm around you. And so people like that, but, but think about the opposite. Think about the people in your life that are joyous. You know what that looks like? It's contagious. 
I mean, you can't wait to get around them. Do you have any friends that laugh a lot? Everybody needs friends. You know, we, we've had through different seasons of our life, it's like our friends have changed. But we used to have a, a couple that we went with everywhere. We went on vacation with them. I mean, we, we went out to eat with them every single week. And she laughed constantly. I'm telling you what, if the woman had her eyes open, she was laughing out loud. And we could, we loved being around them because it didn't matter what kind of day we were having. She was full of joy enough for all of us. As a matter of fact, we had to rein her in a few times because she was so full of joy. It was infectious. And when you have people full of the joy of the Lord, it is contagious. Their laughter is contagious. Their spirit is contagious. Their, their demeanor is contagious, everything around them. Here's the thing you need to know. Satan does not want you to have joy. He wants you to be depressed. He wants you to feel sorry for yourself. He wants you to be needy. He wants you to drain everybody in your life with your problem. He want, that's what he wants out of you because he knows this. He knows that Nehemiah 8 and 10 says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And he knows that if you ever get full of joy, you're gonna be a force to reckon with. If you ever get full of the joy of the Spirit, there is gonna be something for him to look out for. As long as you're dragging yourself around and dragging everybody around. The devil's not worried about you. I'm just being honest, honey. He's not worried about you. He knows you're not gonna do much damage to his kingdom, but you let somebody get full of the joy of the Holy Ghost, and that is somebody the devil is terrified of because it's contagious. He knows that if somebody gets full of the Spirit and full of the, full of the joy of the Lord, that they are gonna walk strong. People that have no joy walk weak. People that are full of joy walk strong. So you see this courage, you see this boldness that comes out from people that walk in the Spirit. Um, you know, joy changes the way you do everything. Joy, how many of you know that if you're in love, that's wonderful, but if you're in love and full of joy, that's incredible. There's a big difference in loving, you know, you tolerating somebody and actually loving to be around them. You know, there's some people married to somebody they love but they no longer like. And that's a hard place to be. Man, I love you, but I just don't like you anymore. You know, that's a hard place to be. But find somebody full of joy that says, man, you're my best friend. I can't wait. I know, listen, if I can't be with anybody else but you, we're gonna have a good time. You need friends like that. You need family like that in your life. And best of all, I wish that people, we had more people that could, that could exuberate Christianity that way. There is no problem witnessing in this world when we're full of joy. No problem at all. That's what won Jerusalem. That's what won Lystra. That's what won Philippi. That's what won Colossae. That's what won the New Testament churches as people full of joy and hope and boldness came into the streets and turned the world upside down. So my, my family came to the Lord whenever I was five years old. And I still remember my baptism at five years old. Now, keep in mind, I did not go to church before I was five. And so when my mom and dad came to the Lord and I was five, I was just entering, 
back in my day, it was kindergarten wasn't very, you know, wasn't, was, most people didn't go to kindergarten. A few people did. So I started in first grade, right? So I was like the year before first grade and Pastor Charles Clark was out witnessing and my Aunt Frances came to the Lord and my mom and dad came to the Lord and we ended up in the Smyrna Church of God in Smyrna, Georgia. Okay, so that's where we ended up. And here's what I remember as a kid. My mom and dad dragging me to this church and I didn't know anything about church. I didn't know what you're supposed to do in church, how you're supposed to act in church. But I'm telling you, I still remember this to this day. There was a man, and I even had to ask my dad later, what was that man's name? And my dad knew exactly who his name was. His last name was Ledbetter, okay? And I don't know anything about this man because I was a five-year-old, but what I knew is that they had a choir. And when this man sang, he stood right in the middle. He had white hair, and when he sang, he smiled so big, when he sang and clapped his hands, and I was sitting there as a five-year-old thinking, that's what I want. I don't know how to get that. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know where to go for that. If they put me, I don't know what that altar is about, but if that's where I gotta go to get that, that's where I'm going. I don't know what that Duncan tank up there, that Duncan booth looks like, you know, because I didn't know about baptism. I don't know why they're getting all these people in the water and getting them wet, but that's what I gotta do to get that. What I remember as a five-year-old, the thing that drew me, even as a little kid, to Christianity was the joy of Brother Ledbetter. Well, then we moved to Tennessee. I was born in Tennessee, and so we'd moved to Georgia, and we'd moved to Tennessee, and then we moved back to Georgia. I mean, that was my whole life, flip-flopping from state to state. So I lived in Georgia 10 years, and I've lived here uh, twice that long, okay, in Tennessee. So we moved to Tennessee, and we started, we moved to Greenville, Tennessee, where, where my family, where I was born, and most of my family was born, and started going to the Bridges Chapel Church of God, okay? My dad was just kind of starting in ministry, and I was still a little kid. By this time, I'm about seven or eight years old, and when I go into Bridges Chapel, it's a country, uh, country folks way out in the country, country church, and the biggest man in the church, they, his name was George Dunn. Everybody called him Half Dunn. You've heard me talk about this guy, right? He was a great big man that wore bib overhauls, all right? Big, the, those big blue bib overhauls, great big guy. And he sat on the front row, and out of all the places I could sit, I didn't want to sit with the boys my age. I didn't want to sit with my brother or my sister. I didn't want to sit with my parents. I wanted to sit by half done. And as a eight-year-old kid, I always wanted to sit by that big man because of one thing. He looked like the happiest man in the world to me. I'm thinking, I don't know how to get that. I'll go to that altar over and over and over. But before my day is done, I will have that inside of me one way or another. When George done, now he was a great big man. I'm telling you, he was a big man. But he wasn't too big to shout. Now when he shouted, he shouted all over. He could do this and bounce for the next five minutes. I mean, it didn't take much for him to do the wave. He just had to kind of lean and he did the wave. I mean, because he was a happy man. And this guy would get up, and I remember he had, a, he had an unusual way of clapping. 
It's like his hands were way back here and he would do this. It was real as a big clap. You know, I'm used to seeing this thing, you know. He had this great big clap and then he'd get the stone on his feet and then he'd start jumping just like this. I've seen him run down the aisle and run around the church. And the I've told you before about us peeking out the window to see how far he'd get and he jumped across the fence and about blew us our mind. Then he ran across the pond and didn't even know he was walking on water. And as a kid, it stained me. But you know what stained me more than him walking on water? His joy. I barely remember. I do remember, but I barely remember that one night. But what I will never forget is the joy of this man's life every single service. He came in smiling from ear to ear. He had the joy of the Lord in his heart. And as an eight-year-old kid, everybody kept saying, boy, Brian, one of these days you're gonna preach the gospel. And I kept saying, no, you, don't. you have no idea. I'm never gonna preach the gospel, but I am gonna be happy as him because whatever he has that's what I want. It was his joy that made me want to be a Christian when I barely understood Christianity. Now, they didn't have children's church in those days, so there was no such thing as going to children's church. Most of the time, you sat in front of your mama in the seat in front of you, and if you acted up, they, we all have scars. Everybody in my, my generation, we got scars right back here. You know what I mean? They grab the short hair and rip it right there if you ever acted up. So there was no such thing as paper airplanes in church. There was no such thing as bringing an iPad. That didn't exist, honey. You had to act like you liked it if you have no idea. They might be preaching on the anti-beast in Revelation, but as a kid, you go sit there and say, amen, yes, amen. If you didn't, your mama's hand would be right there in the short hair, and she would take her shot at you, buddy. That's, that's what growing up in church looked like for me. And so there was a part of that that I'm thinking, my goodness, I can't wait to get out of that. But you know what? I never wanted to leave I never wanted to leave church because it was the happiest place in the world to me. My wife would tell you that the happiest place, I mean, we both got ruined really early. Faith was the pianist at her little country church at eight years old the only piano player they had. She was playing the piano. She couldn't even reach the pedals. They set her up on songbooks or phone books. Now the phone book there was about that thick. On songbooks, they set her up on songbooks just so she could reach the keys. And she will tell you to this day that the happiest place in her whole life was church. She could not wait to get there. And it was all because of this one thing. The joy of the Lord was so prevalent in those rooms that we never wanted to leave the presence of God. Thank you so much for supporting our ministry. If this has blessed you, please say a prayer for us. And if you would like to give, we have four ways that you can do that. You can give online at briancutshaw.com or if you're a PayPal user, just PayPal us at churchtrainer. Or you can also give through the mail at P.O. Box 267, Georgetown, Tennessee, 37336. Or if you're a Venmo user, you can Venmo us also at Church Trainer. Thank you, and God bless you, and may the Lord multiply your seed. Now back to Hope in the Word. So I'm going to tell you four places where joy comes from, and I'm going to try to get through this. I'm excited about this sermon, and so you can already tell, right? So I'm going to tell you four places that joy comes from. Here's the first one. Joy is a spiritual response to those who've encountered God. 
Joy is a spiritual response for people who have just encountered the presence of God. Psalm 5 and 11 says, but let those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those who love your name be joyful in you. Did you see that? How many times is the word joy in that one verse? Because he's telling you that the people who encounter God encounter the joy of the Lord. It's, it's supposed to be that way. It's the joy of the Lord that gives you strength. It's the joy of the Lord that makes you strong. He says in Psalm 16 and 10, for you will not leave my soul in shield, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You show me the paths of life, and in your presence is what? The fullness of joy. Somebody say that for me. In your presence is what? Fullness of joy. If I can just get in God's presence, something can happen there that can't happen anyplace else. Can I see the hand of somebody here tonight that would say, and somebody online that would say, I have had the worst days of my life, but I knew if I could just ever get back in the presence of God, that's all it would take. If I could just get in his presence, something would happen in the presence of the Lord that would fill me up again. I'm telling you, church, has turned me around a thousand times in my life where I had to drag myself in and I danced my way all the way to the car because the joy of the Lord filled up my life so much. Psalm 32, many sorrows shall be in the wicked, but he, he who trusts the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteousness. And then look at this, and what? And shout and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. I want you to say that, shout for joy. I want you to say it again, shout for joy. One more time, say it again, shout for joy. And I want you to shout for joy, all of you, up and right, up, all of you upright in heart. Now, how many of you have lived long enough to know that words change their meaning? You can say the same thing. How many remember when bad meant bad and good meant good? And now somebody says, oh man, that's bad. And they don't mean it's bad, they mean it's good. Or somebody will say, that was just sick. Now when I grew up, sick meant you needed a doctor or you threw up or something. Sick now means that's awesome. I mean, so now that is just sick and that means it's awesome. How remember the world before the word same? Remember when we used to actually complete a sentence and now it's just same, which means I feel the same way about it as you feel. So words change their meaning through, through the ages. One of the words in church that has a new meaning is the word shout. Because when I grew up, now if I say, and I like this, there's nothing wrong with this, but if I say, shout unto God with the voice of triumph, you know what I hear now? Everybody, let, let's just try it, because you know exactly what to do. Every church in the world does this now. So let me hear you, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. That's what shout means now. It actually means to open your mouth and holler. Holler. Is that country? Holler? I hadn't gotten my y'all back, but I'm getting other things back. It's coming back to me, all right? So why do you holler? Is that the way, the way you say it? Yell. Let me just go with yell, all right? So, so nowadays when we say shout unto God, we yell. Years ago, that's not what that meant. So Kathy, you know what it meant. In the old days when a saint shouted, it wasn't a yell. It was a movement. 
It meant that I just felt the presence of God and my body is reacting to the presence of God. I've just encountered God's presence and sometimes it's like the spirit was willing but the flesh is weak so you didn't know what they were gonna do. I mean, sometimes you had to get out of their way because when people got full of the Holy Spirit and joyous in the Lord, I mean, they shouted all kinds of ways. Uh, we had a little lady at our church, um, her name was Ellen Nell, and Sister Nell, even after she was in her 90s, she would come up, we'd have a prayer line, Sister Nell would come up, and I'd say, Sister Nell, what do you need from the Lord? And she'd say, oh, Pastor B, I don't need anything. I just need somebody to help me shout. I'm too old to shout by myself. All right, couple of elders come over here, a couple of armor bears, and they'd all hold her up and let her shout. She'd just stand there and shout. I mean, she'd just go to town because she knew, and I asked you one time, Sister Nell, why do you do that? Oh, because the joy of the Lord is my strength. If I could just get in his presence, if I can just feel his presence, I can leave here stronger than I came in. I can leave here happier than I came in. I can leave here more, more sound mind than I came in if I can just get in his presence. When Faith and I first went to St. Louis, we were pastoring before it became the, you know, the mega church, Twin Rivers. It was the Webster Groves Church of God. And the Webster Groves Church of God was a lot different from Twin Rivers. It was a small little church, about 50 people. And one of those 50 people was a little lady by the name of Dorothy Butler. And the kids all had a name for her. All the kids and the teenagers in the church called her Buckin' Butler. I almost said that when I preached her funeral, but I thought I better not. But I almost said, it's good to see you come out for Buckin' Butler because everybody in the church knew her as Buckin' Butler. And there was a reason why they called her that. It's because when Sister Butler felt the presence of the Lord, she bucked. And I don't know how else to say it, but she would do just like this. She would buck just like this. And she, as she got older, she had to hold on to something. And it might be you, but she never stopped bucking until the day she bucked herself right on into glory. Until she never stopped bucking. She bucked as long as she could move, she bucked. And she bucked herself right on into heaven because these old saints, you know what they call these old saints? Maud Glass. Here's another. This was Faith's grandmother. Little country church, Donaldsonville Church in Donaldsonville, South Georgia. Sister Maud Glass was a quiet lady. I mean, she didn't say much in a room. She never talked much. She was very, very quiet. This is Faith's mom's mother. And she had these two little, look like cinnamon rolls on the side of her head. She would take, she had long hair and she'd braid them and then make these little cinnamon roll looking things and put pins in them. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like she had two of them. You want to go by and just take a bite. You know, it looked that good. And she had them perfectly set on both sides of her head until the glory hit her. Now, when the glory of God would come in the room and she would encounter the presence of the Lord, you better move because those cinnamon rolls turned into weed eaters because she had start shaking that head. Now, she was an old lady and she couldn't get out and dance. Anymore. All of them danced when they could. And then when they couldn't dance, they just held on and bucked or whatever they did. So Sister Glass, Maud Glass, she would hold on to the pew in front of her and everybody knew to move because when that head got to moving those pins came out and you then you could you could see how long her hair was and it was really long and those two braids came out and she turned into a glorified weed eater and if you didn't move she would cut your hair whether you wanted to cut or not because sister Maud glass had felt a streak of glory and she was under the power of god that's what shouting was back in those days 
So we didn't know about yelling. Nobody ever said anything about yelling when you say the word shout. When you say, the, you know, shout with joy, that meant when the joy of the Lord comes on me, my body is going to respond in some way to exemplify that the joy of the Lord is upon me. Now, where does that come from? You know, they called that generation fanatics, but they also called them miracle workers. Because that same fanatic generation, they saw people healed and fevered brows fall. They saw broken bones healed. They saw people get up off their deathbed. Those same old fanatic saints could clear out a hospital room too because there was something about them that understood the glory and the presence of God in their life. And so the joy of the Lord was about encountering God's presence in some way that I'm having this reaction to this. Well, you may think, well, well, that was just a cultural thing. That was just something they learned. No, not really, because it's all through the Bible. And you know it very well. Every time you say the word hallelujah, you say it. The word hallel jah, hallel jehovah. Hallel means to celebrate Jehovah. That means God just touched me and I've got to celebrate. Now, some people celebrate beautifully and some people celebrate like a wounded water buffalo. You know, some people have this glorious dance. There was a man named Bob Snodderly. As a matter of fact, Bob Snodderly lived around here. Bob Snodderly had the prettiest dance. I mean, he could outdo Fred Astaire. When Bob Snodderly got under the spirit, he'd skip across the room and clap his hands, and it was the most beautiful thing to watch. And then there was others out there. When the Holy Ghost got on them, it looked like both knees were broken and both legs were broken, but that's just all they could do to express this joy that was bubbling up inside of them. It's Hallel. They were expressing Hallel. Why do you think that the spirit of Michal, David's wife, the daughter of Saul, called him undignified? David was dancing in a way, he was celebrating God, not in a, not in a, a lewd way, he was celebrating God in a way that she thought was undignified for a king. Because I don't have time to go through these because this is a whole sermon right here of what I'm about to give you, but you need to go home and preach the sermon to yourself. Start in Psalm 146 and go all the way to Psalm 150. Those are called the Hallelujah Psalms. And the reason they're called the Hallelujah Psalms is because the translation, the translation starts every one of those Psalms with praise ye the Lord, but that's a translation. Look at the Hebrew. The, the Hebrew in every one of those Psalms is Hallel Jah. Hallel Jehovah. Celebrate Jehovah. So in Psalm 146, it opens up with hallelujah, it closes with hallelujah. Psalm 147 opens with hallelujah, it closes with hallelujah. Psalm 148 opens with hallelujah, it closes with hallelujah. And listen, you want some shoutings, you, you better put on your shouting shoes and your shouting music when you go through this. Because when you start reading all the reasons you shout, you will not be able to keep it to yourself when you realize that the stars are praising him, and the mountains are praising him, and the trees are praising him. And here you are in the glorified body. You have a body like God. You have a threefold, a triune being. You have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. And you say if a rock can cry out and a tree can cry out and a wave can clap their hands, surely there's got to be a praise inside of me to give to Almighty God. This program is brought to you by the partners of Brian Cutshaw and Church Trainer Ministries. 
please help us pray that the Lord will continue to send us more partners so we can expand his kingdom around the world.